With all the information available to us today, there are an incredible amount of factors that could impact a company's reputation. In fact, it's really not enough anymore just to be a quality business. It's not enough to be a well-run company that makes great products and services because at the end of the day, that will give you part of a good reputation, but it wouldn't allow people to totally identify and, and buy into uh, who you are and what you stand for. Hi again, everyone. I'm Tim Muma, and on this edition of Management Decisions, we're examining what makes and breaks a company's reputation, from quality to responsibility, even to the spokespeople they might use. Now, to give us his experience perspective, we have Stephen Hahn Griffiths with us. He is the Vice President of U.S. Strategy and Consulting for the Reputation Institute. Thanks for coming on the show today, Stephen. Uh, great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, before we jump into kind of the details of, you know, maybe what affects the reputation of different organizations, I wanted to have you give us a little bit of information about the Reputation Institute and what you do over there. Yeah, well, great. Uh, well, Reputation Institute is a uh, privately held company that uh, is an expert in the area of reputation measurement and management. We've been around for 20 years and and we have a proprietary asset called RepTrack, which is a way of uniquely measuring reputation across multiple stakeholders and, and thousands of companies all around the world. Great, great. And obviously, that's why we wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about this idea of what impacts a reputation, what can help a company's reputation. So let's start there. Obviously, a number of different factors can impact one's reputation, but are, are there any two or three that really stand out to you that really seem to make a difference in terms of how people view them? Yeah, sure thing. Well, in dissecting reputation, there's basically two parts to the equation. There's an emotional piece and a cognitive piece. The emotional piece is, is that sort of sense of uh, feeling and, and, and admiration you have for a company and really defines the degree of, of emotional connection you have to, to the way they view and perceive an organization. Sure. The second part is more cognitive, which is around what we call the rational dimensions that really support those feelings. And within that sort of realm of, of, of sort of rational drivers of reputation, there are things like products and innovation, workplace, governance, citizenship, performance, and, and leadership of the company that really define the sort of construct of, of, of the way people evaluate companies and, and how they rationally in, interpret them. When it comes to the emotional and cognitive side, does one impact the other more greatly depending on what type of business or service there is? For example, say it's a, a food service. Uh, I would personally, I may want to make sure the product is good because I don't want to be putting horrible things into my stomach, obviously, versus if it's yeah. a, uh, you know, a technological product or an entertainment product or service. Uh, how much does that impact it based on what the product or the service is? Yeah, that's a great question. It definitely plays a, a major impact. Um, just by predisposition, the general public would sort of more readily identify with uh, consumer-driven uh, companies, and you tend to get a higher reputation just by the fact you're in that sort of consumer space. Whereas, mm. you know, relative to uh, whether you're a utility, an energy company, it's a little harder to get warm and fuzzy about those kinds of organizations. So therefore, you sort of tend to be um, sort of more harshly viewed, uh, perhaps less emotionally loved because of that. Um, but because there is both an emotional and a rational part, what we can do is kind of deconstruct the understanding. And, and, and what really matters is those cognitive drivers that underscore reputation. And for example, you might be known for manufacturing great products, but people might not love you because perhaps you're a bad corporate citizen or, or maybe you don't uh, create a workplace that people are especially excited to come and work for. Sure. 
what are some ways that an organization can look to build up their reputation? Now, obviously, uh, it could depend, as you said, what area they're in. Uh, maybe they've had a, a bad reputation in, in somewhere else. But are there certain factors, certain characteristics that you would have them focus on to help build up that reputation? Yeah, absolutely. And look, here's, here's a big trend in, in society today. It's not enough to be a well-run company that makes great products and services because at the end of the day, that will give you part of a good reputation, but it wouldn't allow people to totally identify and, and buy into uh, who you are and what you stand for. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, we're seeing a dimension around what we call corporate social responsibility as, as really being a movement around which companies can truly stand out, differentiate themselves, and create a great reputation. And when we think about corporate social responsibility, we really think of three things of those, of those rational drivers. We think about governance, citizenship, and workplace. And if you can excel on any one, if not all three of those things, you can truly stand out and own yourself a really strong reputation in the marketplace. So you mentioned workplace there, and one of the things I was reading a lot about was how much, especially with social media nowadays and all the information out there, is how much an actual employee can impact the reputation, or I guess multiple employees, if they're getting the word out as far as the good or bad side of that company. Do you see that as having a major influence? Is that still a small portion of what you find? What's sort of your take on what those individual employees can do as far as the reputation goes? Yeah, employees are potentially your best or worst ambassadors, depending on uh, how they think about the workplace. Uh, you know, take a company like Amazon that uh, was sort of publicly spanked, if, if I can use that term <laughs> on air, um, in, in the realm of public opinion, um, where it is viewed as having a very strong reputation. There was that whole kind of weirdness around workplace. The company took a reputation decline um, but actually bounce back because in, in the long run, people understand that Amazon is a well-run company. Uh, it really fosters a sort of dynamic workplace environment where people can succeed and, and fulfill their dreams and ambitions. Where it becomes challenging, and, and especially in the area of being like a, uh, a sort of hourly worker, um, in companies like uh, QSR-related uh, businesses, mm -hmm. take a Subway or a McDonald's as an example, you know, in those kind of work environments, if your employees become your worst ambassadors, not only do they sort of negatively talk about the, uh, the company and the business outside of work, in their very performance uh, and their productivity, you actually see a decline in reputation just because those, those employees are underlined around the, the company's vision and mission, and they're not excited to come to work every day. So you're right, employees can have a huge impact on reputation, and it's certainly something we put under the microscope as we evaluate different companies around the world. You also mentioned a big part of it nowadays being that social responsibility for organizations. And maybe it's the skeptic in me. Maybe it's the way people are, as you said, often critical of companies, especially probably the larger they get. How much of a danger is there in looking or sounding fake when you are trying to portray this, you know, we're being good for the environment or we're being corporate, corporately responsible? Uh, do you talk about that side of it all as far as appearing genuine or, or actually, of course, wanting ideally them to be genuine? Yeah, in fact, one of the things we measure is the uh, expressiveness of a corporation and whether it's authentic and genuine in how it tells its story. And what's really important in that realm of corporate social responsibility is you have to be sincere and you have to back up the rhetoric with real action points. Mm. It's not good enough to just sort of talk about goodwill. You have to really deliver on it. And what's important around goodwill 
it can't just be lost in the realm of the warm and fuzzies and, and where you maybe have a good feeling about the company, but you can't rationally support that. What's equally as important is beyond goodwill is good business. And, and companies that can align a good corporate social responsibility agenda around the premise of making the world a better place to live and can support that with products and services and, and issues and programs that truly support and fulfill uh, that goodwill are the ones that are the most successful. And if we look at the rankings of the top 100 companies in the U.S., you know, organizations at the top of the list are companies like Amazon, uh, Lego, uh, Levi Strauss, even mm -hmm. BMW, who not only get credit for being good businesses, but they get credit for just being well-run companies that uh, really practice the, the best of corporate social responsibility uh, initiatives. When I was uh, checking out some of the stuff that you guys do there over at the Reputation Institute, I came across uh, an article that mentioned the idea of principles for reputation management. Uh, and three terms that stuck out were context, timing, and insight. Can you give us a little more information on what that entails or, or what, how that plays a role as far as reputation goes? Well, certainly. You know, context makes it uh, very uh, tangible and relatable. So, you know, you, you, you can't just tell a story, you have to frame a story about what you stand for and, and really put it into, into the right context. You know, around the, the premise of the other two things, it really just comes down to uh, making the information you have in hand very actionable and, and especially around the insight, you know, what are the specific things that don't just uh, cause people to have a positive perception but become really actions that very specifically drive behavior. And, and so we, we look at that in, in the realm of reputation. It's not just telling a story. It's about telling the story, delivering on your stakeholder expectations, making those expectations sort of pay out in dividends of real actionable outcomes that will ultimately drive the value of the enterprise. Unless you can do all those things, you're going to fall short of your ability to truly fulfill the uh, expectations and ambitions of having a great reputation at all. Sure. Now, I'm not sure how much uh, you guys measure this over there or what impact it has. That's why I obviously want to ask you. Uh, people have wondered how much impact spokespeople have when it comes to an organization, whether it's a celebrity-type endorsement or it's just your average person that they put out there and you recognize them for who they are and the product and services that they're sort of offering up. Um, do you measure what kind of impact spokespeople can have for an organization? Well, not directly, but indirectly we do. So we can measure the impact of, of, of a company leader as a spokesperson. Okay. So organizations who put their CEO front and center with a high sense of confidence tend to benefit from a stronger reputation. But to your point around other kinds of spokespeople, imagine celebrities as an example. Um, we know, for example, the Tiger Woods effect on, on Nike uh, would diminish the reputation mm. of, of Nike as a purveyor of golf products. More recently, if you look at, and if you can call him a celebrity, the whole Jared factor around right. Subway, where you, you've got your, in essence, your public spokesperson who's caught misbehaving and doing things that are inappropriate, you know, that is a huge reputation risk for a company. And really, organizations should think very carefully around who they identify as a spokesperson, because it can be both an amplifier or detractor of reputation, if not managed carefully. You know, one bad spokesperson can undo a lot of goodwill for the organization just through their very behaviors uh, if they do go down that route of being inappropriate. And I know that consumers and, and just people that are paying attention aren't necessarily logical and, and use that cognitive side all the time. But I guess from my point of view, 
if the spokesperson who does something inappropriate is the CEO, someone who actually works for the company, I get where that impacts the reputation. Why would someone like Jared or Tiger Woods, why would that impact them? I and mean, people have to recognize that really has nothing to do with the company. This is an individual's choices that they made. Uh, how can you, I guess, justify the fact that that would negatively impact these companies' reputations? Yeah, well, in those two cases, both Tiger and uh, and Jared were sort of truly inculcated into the persona of the brand. And, mm-hmm. and in, one, in many ways, your reputation is the view of your corporate brand through the eye of the beholder. In other words, you're looking at the organization, you're looking at the celebrity or the spokesperson as a manifestation of how you think and feel about that company. So any sort of negative associations with, with that particular celebrity pay out with a sort of decrease of reputation because you you can't in the mind's eye of the general public necessarily discern between the two. If your spokesperson is a famous celebrity, they can enhance the credentials of the company. If that famous celebrity then gets himself into trouble, that can directly impact the reputation of the company because they're very much seen as being the spokesperson or the extension of, of the way they view the brand. Sure. With kind of that same thing in mind, and it doesn't have to be a situation like we were just talking about, but anytime a, a company makes a mistake or there's some sort of error, uh, what is the best tact as far as being able to make sure it doesn't harm your reputation much? And even if it does, to be able to jump on it and start moving forward to, to building it back up, what are kind of the steps to, uh, to, to get back from that? Well, I think uh, all companies make mistakes, so nobody's perfect, right? Uh, and I think in the, in the realm of being sort of human in, in, in your actions uh, and being honest in your business practices, I think step one is, is really owning up to the mistake mm-hmm. uh, and not trying to uh, hide it in the guise of being opaque. So companies who are transparent, who acknowledge their, their mistakes and accept the responsibilities uh, are ones that are viewed more favorably. Secondly, I think giving both the news media, the other stakeholders who matter, whether they are consumers or advocates, a, a clear understanding of what are you going to do to, to fix those uh, mistakes. Um, and, and then thirdly, with conviction, following through and making sure those mistakes never happen again. Uh, you know, Chipotle had a chance to make things right when they first had the outbreak of some of those health scares uh, with the organization. Um, you know, strike two, they, they had similar health scares that came back. Strike three, and they were in real trouble. Um, so really, organizations have to go beyond the lip service of, of owning up to the problem and, and addressing them. They have to follow through and make sure that the action plan truly fixes the issue, and, and hopefully it would never happen again. Well, Stephen, I really enjoyed talking with you. I think some great insight for a lot of the business leaders out there that we have listening to our shows to try to understand a little bit what, you know, the pros and cons. And I'm sure you could talk forever and we can get into more details, uh, but as best we can in the general conversation here. I wanted to give you the floor at the end. If you were speaking to any organizational leaders out there right now, what would you offer up as, I guess, a key in making sure that their reputation is on solid ground and how to make sure it stays that way? Well, I think for every organization, a strong reputation really begins with a deep-seated sense of purpose. You know, what, what are your true convictions? Why do you exist as an organization? And, and what do you hope to fulfill in the hearts and minds of the, of the people you serve? So starting with a strong purpose, uh, following through with that purpose in, in terms of your ability to not just talk about it, but truly activate. Uh, actions always speak louder than words. That is the best way to drive a strong reputation. I think that's a perfect way to wrap this up. Stephen, thank you very much. Excellent stuff today. We appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for your time. Great to be on air. 
That is all the time we have today on Management Decisions. Once again, that was Stephen Hahn Griffiths, the Vice President of U.S. Strategy and Consulting for the Reputation Institute, giving us some excellent details on what can help or harm your organization's reputation today. If you have any feedback for us or maybe you have a topic you'd like for us to explore, shoot us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also find us on Twitter at the LJN, and all of our episodes are on iTunes. Just search LJN Radio and that will lead the way. Thank you all for listening. I'm Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.